Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In afterwards. I long to see her and Peppino as Brunhilde and Siegfried. Just attend to her, Georgie, and buck her up. Promise me you will. And do it as if your heart was in it, otherwise it's no good. Georgie began packing up his paint-box. This was not the plan he had hoped for on Christmas Day, but if Olga wished this, it had got to be done. Well, I'll do my best, he said. Thanks ever so much. You're a darling. And how is your planchette getting on? I've been lazy about my crystal, but I get so tired of my own nose. Planchette would write nothing but a few names, said Georgie, omitting the fact that Olga's was the most frequent. I think I shall drop it. This was but reasonable, for since Rhizom had some new and absorbing excitement every few weeks, to say nothing of the current excitement of daily life, it followed that even the most thrilling pursuits could not hold the stage for very long. Still, the interest in spiritualism had died down with the rapidity of the seed on stony ground. Even Mrs. Quantock seems to have cooled, said Olga. She and her husband were here last night, and they looked rather bored when I suggested table-turning. I wonder if anything has happened to put her off it. What do you think could have? asked Georgie with Rhizome alacrity. Georgie, do you really believe in the princess and Pocky? she asked. Georgie looked round to see that there was no one within hearing. I did at the time, he said, at least I think I did, but it seems less likely now. Who was the princess anyway? Why didn't we ever hear of her before? I believe Mrs. Quantock met her in the train or something. So do I, said Olga, but not a word. It makes Aunt Jane and Uncle Jacob completely happy to believe in it all. Their lines of life are enormous, and they won't die till they're over a hundred. Now go and see Mrs. Lucas, and if she doesn't ask you to lunch, you can come back here. Georgie put down his picture and painting apparatus at his house, and went on to Lucia's, definitely conscious that though he did not want to have her to dinner on Christmas Day, or go back to his duets and his ADC duties, there was a spice and savour in so doing that came entirely from the fact that Olga wished him to, that by this service he was pleasing her. In itself it was distasteful, in itself it tended to cut him off from her, if he had to devote his time to Lucia, but he still delighted in doing it. I believe I am falling in love with her this time, said Georgie to himself. She's wonderful, she's big, she's... At that moment his thoughts were violently diverted, for Robert Quantock came out of his house in a tremendous hurry, merely scowling at Georgie and positively trotted across the green in the direction of the newsagents. 
Instantly Georgie recollected that he had seen him there already this morning before his visit to Olga, buying a new tuppenny paper in a yellow cover called Todd's News. They had had a few words of genial conversation, and what could have happened in the last two hours that made Robert merely gnash his teeth at Georgie now, and make a second visit to the paper shop? It was impossible not to linger a moment and see what Robert did when he got to the paper shop, and with the aid of his spectacles Georgie perceived that he presently loaded himself with a whole packet of newspapers in yellow covers, presumably Todd's News. Flesh and blood could not resist the cravings of curiosity, and making a detour so as to avoid being gnashed at again by Robert, who was coming rapidly back in his direction, he strolled round to the paper shop and asked for a copy of Todd's News. Instantly the bright December morning grew dark with mystery, for the proprietor told him that Mr. Quantock had bought every copy he possessed of it. No further information could be obtained, except that he had bought a copy of every other daily paper as well. Georgie could make nothing of it whatever, and having observed Robert hurry into his house again, went on his errand to Lucia. Had he seen what Robert did when he got home, it is doubtful if he could have avoided breaking into the house and snatching a copy of Todd's news from him. Robert went to his study and locked the door. He drew out from under his blotting-pad the first copy of Todd's news that he bought earlier in the morning, and put it with the rest. Then with a furrowed brow he turned to the police reports in the Times, and after looking at them laid the paper down. He did the same to the Daily Telegraph, the Daily Mail, the Morning Post, the Daily Chronicle. Finally, this was the last of the daily papers, he perused the Daily Mirror, tore it in shreds, and said, Damn! He sat for a while in thought, trying to recollect if anybody in Rhizome except Colonel Boucher took in the Daily Mirror. But he felt morally certain that no one did, and letting himself out of his study and again locking the door after him, he went into the street and saw at a glance that the Colonel was employed in whirling Mrs. Weston round the green. Instead of joining them, he hurried to the Colonel's house and, for there was no time for half measures, fixed Atkinson with his eye, and said he would like to write a note to Colonel Boucher. He was shown into his sitting-room, and saw the Daily Mirror lying open on the table. As soon as he was left alone, he stuffed it into his pocket, told Atkinson he would speak to the Colonel instead, and intercepted the path of the bath-chair. He was nearly run over, but stood his ground, and in a perfectly firm voice asked the Colonel if there was any news in the morning papers. With the Colonel's decided negative ringing joyfully in his ears, he went home again, and locked himself for the second time into his study. There is a luxury, when some fell danger has been averted by promptness and presence of mind, in living through the moments of that danger again, and Robert opened Todd's news, for that gave the fuller account, and read over the paragraph in the police news headed, Bogus Russian Princess. But now he gloated over the lines which had made him shudder before, when he read how Marie Lowenstein, of 15 Gerald Street, Charing Cross Road, calling herself Princess Popovsky, had been brought up at the Bow Street Police Court for fraudulently professing to tell fortunes and produce materialised spirits at a séance in her flat. Sordid details followed. A detective who had been there, seized an apparition by the throat, and turned on the electric light. It was the woman Popovsky's throat that he held, 
and her secretary, Hezekiah Schwartz, was discovered under the table detaching an electric hammer. A fine was inflicted. A moment's mental debate was sufficient to determine Robert not to tell his wife. It was true that she had produced Popovsky, but then he had praised and applauded her for that. He, no less than she, had been convinced of Popovsky's integrity, high rank and marvellous psychic powers. And together they had soared to a pinnacle of unexampled greatness in the Rhizome world. Besides, poor Daisy would be simply flattened out if she knew that Popovsky was no better than the Guru. He glanced at the pile of papers and at the fireplace. It had been a cold morning, clear and frosty, and a good blaze prospered in the grate. Out of each copy of Todd's news he tore the page on which were printed the police reports, and fed the fire with them. Page after page he put upon it, never had so much paper been devoted to one grate. Up the chimney they flew in sheets of flame. Sometimes he was afraid he had set it on fire, and he had to pause, shielding his scorched face, until the hollow rumbling had died down. With the page from two copies of the Daily Mirror, the Holocaust was over, and he unlocked the door again. No one in Rhizome knew but he, and no one should ever know. Rhizome had been electrified by spiritualism, and even now the seances had been cheap at the price. The debris of all these papers he caused to be removed by the housemaid, and this was hardly done when his wife came in from the green. "'I thought there was a chimney on fire, Robert,' she said. "'You would have liked it to be the kitchen chimney, as you said the other day.' "'Stuff and nonsense, my dear,' said he. "'Lunchtime, isn't it?' "'Yes. Ah, there's the post. None for me, and two for you.' She looked at him narrowly as he took his letters. Perhaps their subconscious minds, according to her dear friend's theory, held communication, but only the faintest unintelligible ripple of that appeared on the surface. "'I haven't heard from my princess since she went away,' she remarked. Robert gave a slight start. He was a little off his guard from the reaction after his anxiety. "'Indeed,' he said. "'Have you written to her?' She appeared to try to remember. "'Well, I really don't believe I have,' she said. "'That is remiss of me. I must send her a long budget one of these days.' This time he looked narrowly at her. Had she a secret, he wondered, as well as he? What could it be? Georgie found his mission none too easy, and it was only the thought that it was a labour of love, or something very like it, that enabled him to persevere. Even then, for the first few minutes, he thought it might prove love's labours lost, so bright and unreal was Lucia. He had half-crossed Shakespeare's garden, and had clearly seen her standing at the window of the music-room, when she stole away, and next moment the strains of some slow movement, played very loud, drowned the bell on the mermaid's tail so completely that he wondered whether it had rung at all. As a matter of fact, Lucia and Peppino were in the midst of a most serious conversation when Georgie came through the gate, which was concerned with deciding what was to be done. A party at the Hurst, some time during Christmas week, was as regular as the festival itself. But this year everything was so unusual. Who were to be asked in the first place? Certainly not Mrs. Weston, for she had talked Italian to Lucia in a manner impossible to misinterpret. And probably, so said Lucia with great acidity, she would be playing children's games with her plum 